and welcome to the Free Range Buffalo. Break free from the herd. Today, we're going to be talking about the incentivized animal, the fifth of our series about talking about the motivations of people, what drives us, and why we have the, way, the things we do within our capitalist society. Joined with me is my good friend, Michael Morris. Hi, Bryce. So, we're getting, we're getting close to the end uh, of the Incentivized Animal series. I, I have to say, I'm, I've been enjoying this. Um, I'm not sure as far as, um, it's probably not our, our worst series for clickbait. <laughs> uh, as far as being able to, to, to attract people to come listen to us. But I, I have to say, it's from, um, from an exercise about trying to understand some fundamentals for me, it's, this has been a really um, a wonderful exercise. It's uh, kind of a heavy subject, but I, I yeah. tend to agree with you, and it's, uh, it's taught me a lot. And yeah. this, uh, the one we're going to talk about tonight is probably the one I'm most looking forward to because it kind of uh, is going to talk about how we can uh, misaligned incentives. Exactly. Yeah. So, f- so the topic for t- uh, for today is misaligned incentives. There's something rotten in the state of markets, and because we talked about uh, previously about all these positive forces within the within markets within people, how when people are properly motivated, they actually are able to combine and drive efficiencies, innovation. And and really, the finding out you know the the invisible hand how it is the best system for the um, distribution of resources most efficiently rather than through like a command system a totalitarian system. Um, but on the flip side, and there is always a dark side of the coin, and it has to do with when incentives are misaligned, about when people, individuals, or systems corrupt the system either through malevolence through design where they want to put themselves you know uh, above another uh, through lies through deceit um, and sometimes just through ignorance maybe they don't have all the information at hand or through an idea that's not fully developed or thought through and they bring people along and there's a lot of examples um, where the market is abused and it's those excesses, those failures that really people can point to and say, well, this is why the system is, you, you, you should never have a capitalist system. You should never do this as a, as a system because it's too easy to be corrupted. Mm. I think uh, you cannot predict all of the ways that people will respond to various incentives. So no matter what incentives you introduce into a system, there's going to be some unpredictable outcomes mm. that, that even the smartest person didn't see coming. Yeah, I think what can happen is sometimes incentives get introduced into a system and they have good intentions mm. and then they can be sort of perverted or, or someone takes the reins of those or really exploits them to the maximum and then that can create problems in a system. And then sometimes there's uh, misaligned incentives in the sense of uh, your individual incentive to do something uh, versus the group's incentive. So as a society's uh, safety, as it were, versus mm. uh, making a decision to make the company more money would be a good example of a misaligned yeah, incentive. Yeah, okay, yeah, 100%. So, like, w- what comes to your mind for some of the biggest failures or examples of when 
uh, you've had a misaligned incentive either through deceit or through uh, corruption, perversion, or or incompetence. Well, I think uh, one that was just recently in the news and, and people unfortunately died because of it was the Boeing 737 MAX oh, yeah. incidents. Oh, man. That, you, you want to talk about a, a company uh, that had public trust it was it was the gold standard um for engineering and manufacturing excellence never delivered a, a you know a, almost a spotless reputation and then to have their those emails come out well the the emails were were one thing and it was a, a culture that was created uh, apparently i did some research on this and they acquired an engineering company about 20 years ago Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the pinnacle of their engineering prowess. And after that, they sort of, uh, their quality went down. Oh. And the reason being is that they outsourced a lot of their, their manufacturing processes. So while the plane was assembled in the United States, a lot of the parts would come from other places. And the quality control went down, understandably. Mm-hmm. Why did they do that? To cut costs. Why did they want to cut costs? Well, to beat their earn, their quarterly uh, guidance for right. the market right. uh, because the upper management those people had uh, it was very much incentivized if they if they did that that they would receive stock compensation and then therefore enrich themselves um, hundreds of tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars and so their incentives were to cut costs cut costs cut costs Eventually, that becomes inherent in the culture. That's your incentive is to cut costs, right? But you become so myopic on that one thing that you lose sight of the the bigger picture, which is you're producing products that are meant to keep people safe. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not like a vehicle that if if a bearing goes on a vehicle, you pull over the side of the road. I mean, a plane. If it has one failure, the the results are catastrophic. And for those of that who aren't really all that familiar with what happened with the 737 MAX, um, what it was is, or was a extension of the most popular plane ever sold um, in the world. And it was a Boeing plane of the 737. Everyone who's uh, flown domestically um, has been on one of these planes. It's, it's the workhorse. And what they did is they took that same platform and they made it a bit bigger. They just stretched out. They made it the MAX using a lot of the same processes, same uh, base design. But what they had done within the engineering is there was a lot of fly-by-wire. And what that means is uh, a lot of plane, modern planes don't actually have a physical connection to the controls. It's, uh, the controls are digitized, and then it's sent to hydraulics or electric actuators, which is all well and good. And they have a lot of safety features built in that. So the plane has anti-stall. That means that the plane is into a certain angle of attack. It'll actually stall out automatically and the plane will actually self-correct. Or if it's sensing it's in too deep of a dive, it'll pull up. Like all these automatic safety features trying to, what they found historically over the last 50 years of modern aviation was that the vast, 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 vast majority of accidents were happening from pilot error. So they're trying to reduce that. Unfortunately, what they did in the 737 MAX was a installation of a piece of software um, that... Um, had the potential, if the sensor was not properly calibrated, as I understand, I could be a little bit wrong, but there, essentially there was a sensor in there that it had the capability of not recognizing the plane's actual um, angle of attack. And it, it, would, it would keep trying to pull the plane up, and it would, and it would, which would automatically stall it, and then the, the pilots would have to fight it. There was a safety switch where you could automatically turn off, 
but in the 737 Max series, they never, in this in the upgrade, they didn't include that portion of the training explicitly and got all the pilots properly upgraded to this one specific feature. And that was the cause of the crash in the in Ethiopia. Um, as well as the one in Malaysia, I believe, there was a, a Lion Air mm. one. So, so there was two 737 MAX crashes, and then there were stories all throughout the world, and then they realized that uh, it wasn't, because everyone was so ready to blame, because they weren't a European or North American airline, so oh, well, it must be pilot air, and turned out it was Boeing. It was a software. Yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, that's one example of where incentives go wrong. Right. Uh, we could look at... Uh, we could look at other management incentives in the stock market uh, and and how they become misaligned. WorldCom and Enron uh, oh, resulted Enron. in accounting scandals as well. But I have an, I have another one, and not to mm. pick on Boeing, but uh, <laughs> but this is an example of how how incentives can be misaligned without necessarily causing harm, but but lead to unintended consequences. Right, and this is what to do with their shuttle program. So back in uh, sure. Boeing used to build shuttles for NASA and they had a, gov- a government contract yeah. with them. But what they didn't know, the government didn't really know how much these things cost to build. Right? They, they outsourced it to the experts and sure. rightfully so. Yeah. But what these contracts were based on was it was, well, we don't know what it's going to cost. So you, you give us the cost plus a, and we'll give you a percentage Plus, so oh, it's, oh, it's oh, cost b- plus a percentage. So there was a built-in profit margin because of the experimental nature of, of what they were trying to do. Right. Yeah. So so it'll cost you say say a hundred billion dollars. That is an expensive. Piece a, of <laughs> okay, a hundred million. Sorry, that's a. Uh, I went Doctor Evil there for a second. A <laughs> uh, hundred million dollars to build this spaceship. So yeah. then you build in fifteen percent, you make fifteen million dollars. Well, NASA. Uh, gave them this contract, Boeing's incentive is to make that thing cost as much money as possible because then they can therefore make as much money as possible selling these space shuttles to NASA. So that's what they did to make the most money as as they made it. As soon as you you say that out loud, of course, that's what's going to happen. Which, (laughs) I mean, whenever we're looking at these government contracts, you're wondering, well, how, how can it be so expensive? Exactly, and and so that's how it was structured. And apparently, a lot of procurement uh, uh, over that time, and I I guess still to this day, happens on this basis. So, uh, what happened? Well, the shuttle program got got shut down. And why? Mm. It wasn't so much that it was uh, there was a few issues, you know, the Challenger, obviously, mm, yeah. etc. It had more to do with the fact that they were so bloody expensive. And the reason they were so expensive is because the incentives that were built into this original contract. Now, fast forward to nowadays. Yeah. These incentives got so perverted that Boeing no longer makes a shuttle. But who came in as private companies, Blue Origin and SpaceX? They said, wait a sec, we can do this for way cheaper. And they said, forget your cost plus whatever. We'll do it for way, way cheaper than that. Here you go. And the government couldn't say no. So now... They have these billion-dollar contracts, all because of an incentive that nobody really realized the implications of at the time it was set up. Well, I love the way you tie that together because, yes, really tying in when a company, even if it's a good company, have a good track record in the commercial sector, if if their incentives are not aligned 
for the efficient delivery of a product. It won't be. And you can logically say, well, yes, we're, we're doing an experimental project. We don't know one's done the expertise. Okay, you can justify that as a one-off, potentially. You know, if you're in a rush, you, you can rationalize a lot of things. But don't be surprised when that result happens with the most expensive piece of hardware you've ever developed. You know, I can tell you right now we're never going to be sponsored by Boeing because, you know, when you bring up SpaceX, they're currently, Boeing and SpaceX are currently in competition for launching astronauts from continental United States once again, mm-hmm. for first time since the retirement of the space shuttle. So what had happened was is that there was, um, they were supposed to actually have this done by the late Q4 uh, of 2019, and now it's, it was supposed to, uh, there was a problem with the um, SpaceX, they, their emergency, uh, this is for their little capsule, the Dragon capsule, they were firing the, um, the emergency a rocket to make sure they could get guys sprung clear and they had a uh, rather aggressive uh, how do they put it? it was it was an un, an unplanned uh it was it was an explosion i forget they had, they had a really fancy term with it but yeah it was an unplanned explosion the whole sh- the whole castle <laughs> blew right up boom <laughs> so anyway SpaceX was able to figure out very quickly um that there was a, a valve they redesigned got it all, all done up and within a couple of months they, they they ran the the test again, did a whole b- bunch of recertification, and as of their safe uh, deployment, uh, I think it was in December, early January, where they just did the last, uh, they had to do a redesign of their uh, parachutes. They're on track for launching uh, an astronaut or two astronauts to the International Space Station potentially as early as April. Wow! Yeah, huge news. Boeing also in competition. <clears throat> There was, after the SpaceX error, everyone said, oh, here comes Boeing. Yes, they had the 737 MAX issue, but that's a whole different division. This is their space division. It can do this. Capsule goes up. Now, this is the capsule, and it's about three times the cost of SpaceX, by the way. Mm. And, okay. It's the one that's supposed to go on top of this, the most powerful rocket that's getting designed that's more powerful than the Saturn V, which is about five times over budget and four years late. (laughs) <laughs> incentives kind of to your point. I mean, it, it, it's showing that the, that whole industry, you know, when you're comparing government versus private, one's motivated by um, trying to drive down costs to make spaces accessible as, as possible because they have other incentives for them, stock price and um, well, Musk wants to go to Mars. So he has to find ways to finance so that's by getting there cheaply. So anyway, so the Boeing capsule goes up on a, on an Atlas V rocket out of, uh, I think it was Andrews Air Force Base. Anyway, thing goes up and turns out that there was a coding issue. Oh, no. Yeah, the coding issue. So the computer didn't realize that it was um, uh, not in the right orbit and it fired all of its, uh, um, yeah, it didn't release, it didn't release in the proper orbit and it had it fired up all of its extra um, secondary rocket boosters and it did, didn't meet, so they just bailed out and it, it came back down to Earth. It didn't, I think it made one one orbit. Wow. It didn't it didn't make it to the space station. And it was actually the same issue on that on that capsule as they had on the Super Supermax coding issue. Because hmm. they outsourced it. They weren't the masters of it. Didn't have the great quality control. They by the end they were feeling pressure by SpaceX, so they were rushing. And all of those misincentives and they're having a really hard time correcting it because they don't have, like, they're not doing it in, in-house. So they're having to pull the whole thing apart, figure out, and mm-hmm. 
decoding is a real bullocks. Whereas SpaceX, they've done everything in hand. The guy, everyone, they, everyone who's touched that shuttle works for SpaceX or that capsule works for SpaceX. So when there's an issue, they were able to find the issue within weeks, have a redesign within a month and have, have a new test within a couple months, like phenomenal turnaround as you would hope. So really good examples of um, really a black and white of, of, of what happens when, when these incentives, one gets used to um, trying to gild the lily, so to speak. And, and, and the other ones incentivized because it's their own money is trying to get as close to delivery as possible because they're trying to maximize their own profits. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I think those are, those are two really good examples. Yeah. Um, here's a, a more benign one. Yeah. It's uh, the reason, do you know why Google had their motto, don't be evil for the, a long, long time? Yeah. And then they got rid of it. They did. <laughs> but do, do you know why that came about? No, I, I, I never got that story. So, as it was, was when they went public, uh, one of the ways they could recruit people was to give them stock options. So they gave a lot of their, their mid-level engineers and higher yeah. stock options. So, you know, potentially on each penny tick, your net worth as an engineer at, the, at Google yeah. would go up by, you know, theoretically, maybe millions of dollars per, per dollar that yeah. the stock price went up. So every, every decision that you made could impact the the stock price right so the don't be evil derived from that because it was reminding the employees that hey we're here for the customer and you need to have the customer's experience in mind rather than making decisions based on what your stock options could potentially be because if they had a bunch of engineers doing that and all incentivizing for their short-term success it was it could sabotage google in the in the long run so that's how that that came about and i thought that was interesting Mm. That's an example of, of the bigger yeah, the group so, incentive or the group mission, I guess, versus an individual's incentive. So they were cognitive of a misalignment potential within their incentivizing because you're trying to align through stock options that the company's interests are that individual's interests. But when you have overcompensated, potentially the or the potential reward is such that an individual employee, if properly placed, could juice the stocks do something for a short-term myopic gain and then try to do the cash. That's really interesting. Oh, I'd be curious to do a CS case study if that was actually the case. Cause I mean, Google's they definitely got rid of that model. Don't be evil. They uh, I've seen them lay some lawsuits out that they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're a big corporate monster to be sure. Um, I don't want to belabor this cause you know, the stories and tales of human corruption. I mean, let, let's face it. That every drama story you read, every every movie you watch, every book you read, every story, doesn't matter what institution, the minute that a person touches it, there's corruption. Full stop. That's just, that's also part of my theory of the Mark One human. There's just so much potential for corruption as there is potential for virtue. That's kind of the dichotomy of man, if you will. But one story, which is as a very Canadian uh, anecdote, I, I, because we talked about kind of high-level corporate dealings and, and, and alignment of, of incentives. The one that I always think of when I think about misalignment of uh, incentives, the cautionary tale, especially in the market context, is our good old f- friend Briex. Mm. Briex, uh, for those who aren't aware, is the, I believe, the biggest, if not one of the biggest uh scams in and fraud in market history certainly in canadian market history uh, i think and i might for, for, 
from a one-off, it might even be like like overall all value or, or scale of it. So what what it end up happening is the uh, this company Brex based in Canada um, actually found or had gold rights within Indonesia. Went down to the uh, went down there, you know, found found some samples. They 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 ha- had this really good narrative, good story. Started telling it, the story back in back in Canada, in the United States, about how they had found this this gold seam. It was like El Dorado, um, and people and they they they, they showed that they had in fact fabricated a lot of the different results. Um, and it was backed by geologists, backed by the company. Everything was looking, and and the core samples were good. They'd even got in some. Um, I believe some of the, some government folks from Indonesia were actually had had, had bought into this, and everyone pushed. Were they stuff. wrapping bricks in gold tinfoil at uh, one point? Oh, I, they yeah. were doing some wild stuff. Some wild stuff. I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to separate the fact from fiction. It's mm. it's so crazy. I mean, um, the, the, there's a movie with Matthew McConaughey that's uh, loosely that's based right. upon that's it. Right. That's right. That's right. Gold, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, gold. It's loosely based on the entire story, actually. Um, and wow. It you had people who because it was a penny stock and it shot up. They were millionaires overnight. They it was the money was pouring in because this was it. This was El Dorado. Um, it had passed all the sniff tests and people were shoving money into it. And then the, the wheels fell off the trolley. It, t- it, t- it took. I think it was an investment group. They t- they did a second look at it for due diligence and there was nothing. And because. These guys, they were they were a little down out. They got got a little desperate. Their, their lies got ahead of them, and it got way out of hand. And they greed, you know. That's that for uh, for the Catholics. You know, it's it's one of the seven deadly sins, and the idea of personal enrichment got ahead of them. They just it was dollar signs, and that was that that was their incentive. And they they couldn't get to the they convinced themselves they were never going to get caught and the 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 reward was too high and and which is the root of a lot of the corruption you don't think you're going to get caught and the 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 uptick is way too, way too high and uh oh they got caught they sure did and a lot of people got caught up in that oh. and and wiped out life savings life savings like and I think it was some suicides out of it. it was just, oh, yeah. Uh, like this, one of the most awful, heartbreaking. Well, the geologist jumped out of a helicopter, supposedly, in Indonesia uh, <laughs> back then. And his body I, I, was I, never recovered, so they don't I, know. I, I, I apologize this. for laughing. I have a very black sense of humor. But when I hear, jump, oh, he, he jumped out of a helicopter. Uh-huh. This is the guy who just lost you how many uh, yeah, how many hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars? Exactly. Yeah, you jumped. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it, that's that's the story as, yeah. it, as it goes. Um, but yeah, the uh, households got affected by that uh, because of their, and they were incentivized too, yeah. right? Um, yeah, through greed and through those things. I think with any of these stories that we highlighted is is incentives, as we've highlighted before, is, is that they can be great yeah, and they can be very bad when they're not thought through, when they're allowed to persist without asking why or what the greater good is. And we have to be very careful as how we incentivize people and societies going forward. We have to give this thought because they are such a powerful tool. Mm. How can we use them to better uh, individuals' lives, and how do we use them to better society? Well, and 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 that's that's exactly right. When I when I'm thinking about this, the golden rule: if it's too good to be true, it probably is. 
So do your due diligence. You know, if, if, if you're seeing, and, and, and this is not to be risk averse, but just be honest with yourself about the people that you're dealing with. Even if it's someone who you know very well, that's still the Mark one human, what's incentivizing them? And are their incentives aligned with yours? Are their goals your goals? And, and really, if you don't know what's driving someone else, I would suggest you better take a really a big step back and start asking those hard questions before you get caught on the wrong side of a misaligned incentive. Which I guess, um, uh, that's more of a forecast, I think, because episode six, uh, next time we're going we're gonna to wrap up this entire series. Uh, that entire one, we're going to do um, the so what talked about incentives we talked about the good we've talked about the bad we talked about why it's a fundamental driver for people um and I'm, I'm excited to say okay and so what and i think uh i'm excited to have the close off any last words mike no just uh just know where your incentives lie and what uh, you're optimizing for perfect and on that note it's time to say goodbye Roam free. For those of us, for those of you who found our podcast, like or subscribe. Free range buffalo. <laughs>